Welcome to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation Podcast. In this episode, we answer our students' questions and share information about yoga therapy and meditation with the intention of creating a new paradigm in wellness. Today's episode is a recording taken directly from a live Q&A session with Breathing Deeply founder Brant Pasalakwa and students of our Yoga Therapy Foundations program. Our first question is, do you have any advice for overcoming anxiety after practicing the Samskara release meditation daily? Yeah, well, I mean, one thing is that that, that practice is designed to move things around, so that makes sense. Sounds like you're maybe doing too much of it. Um, but probably most importantly is that you should probably combine it with a tranquility or grounding practice. Um, and the other way to do that would be to do it in the same set. So those are your two choices, like alternate or um, <clears throat> have a sort of warm up and cool down phase to your <laughs> to your practice, right? So, um, you know, one one thing that works really well for a lot of people is doing some sort of chanting after because that'll balance your your mind um but if you've been working at it a while and it's kind of working in that it's you know uncovering things making you see things more clearly you might want to i would just suggest maybe doing it less so Maybe so doing it a couple of times a week. And then what you're going to find, um, but this is just true in general, right? So that course is divided into like three sections. So um, the Samskara release is in this like pranic movement section. Um, but we talk about it in our therapy training, like a Vijnanamaya Kosha, right? Like moving stuff around, um, hopefully uncovering some unconscious stuff and moving it to the conscious. Um, but before you get to any of that is there's eight tranquility meditations not that you need to do all eight but they're just different kinds of options and those are like spine breath that bija mantra we've done in the course uh, om japa om namah shivaya japa um, rotational body consciousness and probably one or two of those will like land as a really easy with practice tranquility meditation and Tranquility states are when you move out of your normal consciousness. Um, and it's that feeling which you've probably gotten because you've been doing this meditation where you're sitting and meditating and you, you know, you're doing your technique or whatever. And it feels like you're still kind of conscious, like you're thinking things and all the things we do. And then usually around, if you get proficient sometime, but probably towards the end of 20 minutes, right? Like 15 minutes in you feel different, like you feel a little less time aware. Um, there's a little bit of spaciousness in your mind. Um, sometimes people feel light in their body. Um, so we, when I say grounding, I mean, it's not necessarily like I feel grounded. It's more my vrittis aren't attacking me at the same rate. <laughs> the technique does matter in terms of the result of the meditation they all have a similarity but um you know 
like one technique that's in the same genre, for instance, is that like chakra meditation that's like bottom up. That's actually in the same ballpark <laughs> as that samskara meditation. But the difference is it will probably not stir up the stuff in your Vishnatamaya Kosha as much or as quickly. So there's different ways to get that sort of pranic awareness that feels more integrating versus stuff that that moves around your deep-seated karmic knots. And you can't always be moving those around unless you are going to quit life and become a monk because we, you, know, you won't be able to function at some point, right? Because you get more and more agitated, more and more aware. So there's a, I, I'm not saying there's one trick, but there's this sort of trick to managing your meditation practice that's important in a long-term kind of way. If you're like a family, you know, like a householder, you know, just with jobs and people and things, but you can't always be digging it up, relying on that one technique a little too much. And so there's more techniques and it's a good and a bad thing. I mean, it's a bad thing because you're feeling anxious and it's a good thing because, you know, if your goal is to like move stuff around so you can deal with it, you're definitely probably doing that. But there's an energetic piece to it that's all up or that can be a little, especially for a really pitta person. You, if you choose to do meditations that uncover your, your stuff, then you also have to choose dealing with that stuff, which you may or may want, not want to do today. So that's up to you. If you see, it all comes from these meditation traditions that are, remember, they're all, or most of them are based on you not living the life you're living now. So it's not that you shouldn't meditate, but it's like we really have to take into consideration each meditation's effects and how to sort of like manage it as you go through your personal evolution. You know, because you probably don't want to spend like nine hours a day in therapy right now at this point in your life, right? So maybe an hour a week, you know? So you have to sort of manage how you're going to unearth stuff. Um, and everybody has a different, you know, kind of tolerance and, you know, some people run more high octane than others. Um, you know, you could even argue that, uh, you really should master your tranquility meditation techniques before you do it at all. Um, that kind of meditation, because that's a, like an essential skill, you know, um, but you're in control of the whole thing. You just need enough techniques to do it. Like you get to decide. Do you have any marketing strategy tips for running mental health yoga therapy workshops? Either, but I will say that yoga anxiety is like the number one thing and it's going to be your easiest thing. And everybody with a mental health condition has anxiety. So if you go too specific, you're going to have a lot, really hard time. You know, if you do yoga for bipolar disorder, you're going to have three people there, you know, um, not because there aren't people who need help, but just, but if you do yoga for anxiety, you don't know who's, you know, everybody could show up really. So just marketing wise, I would probably stick with that. I did the same peaceful weight loss workshop in the same location for like in one place in New York for 12 years, literally every six months for 12 years. Because you really, you're not trying to get repeat people, right? So 
the other thing that's really good is that it, it, people keep seeing your name attached to this mental health yoga thing. So that's how they'll think of you. That's what you're interested in working with. They'll be like, oh, Christine, the anxiety lady, I'm gonna go see her because I'm having a hard time with X, Y, or Z. You know, and a lot of it's random. Like you'll do it again and you'll have terrible turnout. And then you'll, a lot of it's like where you do it and all those things. Um, one thing that worked for me was, I mean, I was always looking for places with bigger and bigger mailings. So I did stuff with ashrams and yoga centers and yeah, you sort of work your way up the, <laughs> the yoga ladder to bigger and bigger places just because they have bigger mail lists, you know, because right. that's, that's the thing. Um, and then just the other thing you could do is do something regular that would allow you to like monthly or something. And then that would allow you to kind of advertise it and put it out to your mail list. Mm -hmm. And it just reminds people that you're there. So some of the benefits, like you saw, I mean, you got a client, so you can imagine if you got a client every time you did something, you'd have a lot of clients, you know? So that's how I think about it. I mean, I don't know, it's different. It's different for everybody, but I mean, I traveled around doing the same workshop for years, years. And then I would go back. It's like being on tour. I had been in a, you're a musician too. So I've been in a band. So I was like, I'll just do it the same way. I'll just go on tour and then I'll go on tour again. <laughs> so I'm not saying you have to do that, but that, that's what I did, you know, and it kind of spread the word, you know, especially because I would do locally, I would do like New York and then New Jersey and Connecticut and it's sort of in the same radius, but there's a lot of people there. So, right. Even in Manhattan, I would do like uptown and downtown, you know. <laughs> and there's so much anxiety. Literally, we could all do yoga for anxiety workshops forever, and there still wouldn't be enough yoga for anxiety workshops. What advice have you got for dealing with imposter syndrome as a new yoga therapist? It's funny. It, it's it's not it, this idea that we're supposed to have solved all our own problems is. You know, of course, it's always like nice to have an inspiring story, you know, or like a big event, but like really people slowly improve their situation, right? And it's not where you are, but it's what you've done to get where you are. So I think sometimes we get confused, like I should be less anxious to teach the anxiety, but it's really, am I less anxious now? you know, have these practices helped me? Have I seen the results? Can I honestly say that these are useful tools for people? That's all we should be thinking about. If you think about it more like a physical thing, then it makes, you know, it's harder with the mental health stuff because you're more likely to feel like an imposter, right? But like, if you like, I don't know, hurt your hip and lost 90% of your range of motion, and then recovered it back. So you're only down 20%. And you're not going to say to yourself, I can't teach this workshop because like I didn't restore the last 20. So clearly these techniques didn't work. It's more like that, right? Like, I mean, it's just where we're at, where we're at. And I mean, the, the important thing is to not, to, it's also a good, I mean, since you said it's a business conversation, it's a way better business model to be transparent. People like love it. People love, getting honest reflections from somebody on how things have helped them or their status um, 
whenever I see yoga teachers fronting, it's really common, but it's especially common because like there's so many young yoga teachers now, so they don't even know they're doing it. I don't blame them, but you know, you go take classes with 22 year olds who are feeling like imposters just because they're young, you know, it's not on them, but you can see them sort of like trying to play the role, <laughs> you know, of the yoga teacher. And I'm always like, oh, you don't have to do that. <laughs> I don't say it, but I'm thinking it like you could just be yourself. Like we all know you're 22 and have only had 22 years of experience on this earth. You're not supposed to know something insane. It's, it's just an asana class. So it's sort of like that, you know. Um, but it is hard, the other thing I'll say, is it is hard in the beginning when you haven't had a lot of clients to not feel a little bit like an imposter because you're teaching something that you have faith in, but you haven't seen work a million times. So like, I don't feel that way anymore at all, but I've also just had a lot of clients. So, but I remember, you know, the first like five years I was practicing, like people come in and I'd be like, Am I qualified to work with this person? Like all the thoughts would race through your head, right? Like, am I sort of good enough to work with this person? And of course, this is obvious, but you kind of don't really realize it till later. And the answer is you have no idea until you've worked with them. <laughs> like you don't know till you're working with them whether you're gonna be useful, right? Like you just don't know. Um, so getting comfortable with that's a little bit of a thing. You're making an offering, you know, you're just making an offering of, of teachings and information and ideas. As long as you present them like that, I think you'd be less nervous, you know. Um, I, I would say I'm most anxious about probably I'm most anxious about those things compared to anything else. I'm like, when this person meets me, is this gonna go well? Right? Like that's what I'm nervous about. I'm not nervous about my ability to teach someone down dog and inhaling and exit like yeah that is not that hard you know it's it's more of a personal thing and i think we get confused you know it all gets like wrapped up in our head yeah. um sometimes yeah. you know but you know practice makes almost perfect right the more you do it <laughs> less nervous you get is running a workshop on habit change a good idea? Um, but yeah, I think I think a habit change kind of workshops would be really good, especially now that's a little more uh, hotter topic than it was a decade ago. People know those terms. There's been a bunch of books. People understand the idea of like sort of, you could even do workshops on being more efficient or being, you know, you know, if you're doing it corporate-wise, you might maximizing productivity. <laughs> it's all the same, but but the words. I did a few workshops uh, in New York, corporate workshops on on uh, sort of increased performance for like high-end, high net worth individuals. I'm interested in being even more high net worth. I guess, <laughs> but it was an interesting thing. They were very interested what what meditation and yoga could do for them. So that was fun because they were super good students. And I got lots of private clients from those workshops. 
the guy that I taught with who does like a whole yoga for athletes thing. It was the Chicago Bulls meditation teacher, Kobe Bryant's going to teach all these famous people. Um, same stuff, just like package different, you know, how do you keep up habits and sort of maximize your potential. He had been actually Julius Irving, Dr. J's roommate at UMass. <laughs> so he's a basketball player who um, had some issues and then got into yoga and then sort of made a career doing that. I think he has a book called The Mindful Athlete. I think that's the name of the book. Everyone check that out. In this next segment, Brant discusses enlightenment based on the yoga sutras. You know, there's that sutra that says, for the person who's basically yearns for it most, it sits there right there waiting for them. And for other people, there's like different results because they they don't yearn for this like deep connection. So they're not gonna get it. It's not that they're doing the practices wrong. It's basically that they don't care. Um, and that's a theme in lots of texts that I, I talk about all the time because I think yoga people are super confused about this, which is most people don't care. They will not evolve and get enlightened because it's not in the cards for them. That's what the texts say. Either something wakes them up or they're just going to have to wait a few lifetimes. That's what the yoga texts say. Right? It's not their moment because there's no motivation behind it. And that, but the big thing there is like, as a yoga person, you, what we need to realize is that that's okay. That's not actually a problem. It's like our own stuff that wants everybody to wake up at the same time. So even this idea of collective enlightenment is, I would argue from a yoga point of view is made up. Like it's not really a thing. Yoga says things work in cycles. You know, so um, now whether you wanna teach a bunch of actors to be better actors which, you know, with no other purpose to the yoga practices, that's, that's up to you. I'd like to think that introducing people to present center thinking is gonna have some sort of net positive effect on humans. Like people would be less awful if they were present. I would like to think that. I'm not. There's. I'm not sure that that's true. But that's that. Get that can get me up in the morning to teach anybody. I don't really think. Um, like my wife did a bunch of work with an organization with the army, and there was this sort of internal argument of like, should you teach people in the army in these meditation techniques to enhance their jobs so that they could kill more people? Like that's the basic argument. And I would say sure. I mean, this idea that none of them are gonna wake up, you know, a little bit and have a different viewpoint is probably flawed. Our last question is, why isn't there more neuroscience in the Breathing Deeply yoga therapy course? Because in literally two days, you can read three books and learn everything there is to know about that. Um, because there isn't that much research yet. Um, it's interesting, but in terms of what we know, I mean, we barely understand how the brain works. So there's that. Two, my main focus is actually practicing yoga therapy. Um, most people have zero neuroscience knowledge and languaging things about in a neuroscience format to somebody who hasn't taken a neuroscience course is not useful. Um, people talk 
the people's language about their brains is emotional language. And that's the language we should be using. Same reason we don't language doshas and everything else. Um, super interesting. I read this stuff all the time um, and watch all the things. But I think there's been a little bit of a, um, you know, I go to the conferences and listen to everyone talk. And this is an opinion and you can disagree with it. Um, that's totally fine. But for years, I've been listening to incredibly interesting speakers talk about neuroscience and then listening to the people that work with them tell us the studies they've done around it and how they work with people. And I've never gotten an ounce of usefulness in terms of practice from them. It's just all very interesting. So that's the reason because Vesser Vandelkull doesn't have anything to add to how we deliver yoga therapy, right? Like he studies why it works from a neuroscience perspective, but the traditions have way more usefulness and utility than the very limited Western understanding, right? Of So I just don't see the utility in it in terms of teaching you how to do yoga therapy. Now, if you wanted to be an academic, you're in the wrong school because you should go to Maryland University and get a master's degree in yoga therapy. But what it is going to teach you is a lot about all the things, you know, in a more academic way. So it's like any program, like you make your choices in terms of what you're going to like guide people towards. Um, you know, I learned from a guy who had spent the last 30 some odd years, like literally crying on his guru's sandals. And he was a great yoga therapist. You know, I haven't met a great yoga therapist who's in neuroscience, not once, neuroscientist. So I'm just, you know, in the end, you want people to get better who you're working with. So that is my argument. You know, sure, if I had unlimited time and money, totally, <laughs> totally, you know, so that the 15% of students in our school who want to go down the neuroscience rabbit hole, I get it, you know, I get it. And it has crossed my mind, but we have to make choices all the time, you know. You're... Your rational mind, which I have too, is super interested in this stuff. And I also read all the things, but you got to remember that you're reading them. The perspective they're coming from is so limited. It's like way too limited for the thing it's studying. You know, we literally don't know why anything works in the body. We like literally have no idea how the body works still. And I think most people don't understand that. Like, we don't know anything. Like, it's, it's, we think we know stuff, but we don't, we don't know. They're still studying. I mean, even nutrition, it's like ludicrous, right? There's just this massive study they did, sort of retroactively looking at vitamin D. Did anyone see the study? It's like brand new. And they're like, vitamin D doesn't work. It raises your vitamin D levels, but there are zero health outcomes, right? That we can find in this massive study that are positive. After all that, 
you know, I'm not saying that study is right, but it's just a good example, right? Like we know vitamin D is important. And when we give people vitamin D, their vitamin D levels rise. But what we don't know is whether when vitamin D levels rise, if you get less cancer. And the answer from this study is you don't get less cancer. You just have higher vitamin D levels and all the same diseases. It's kind of mind blowing that study. I've been looking at it. I'm like, this is a wild study. Like, this is kind of cool. It may or may not be accurate or useful, but my point is that's where we're at with this stuff. We like, we don't know anything. Thanks for listening to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a positive review, and sharing it with friends. For more information about our yoga therapy and meditation trainings and programs, visit breathingdeeply.com.